So Matthew chapter 2, um, we're right at the early stages of Matthew, it's going to be a good 28 weeks plus of this and um, yeah, I, I, I really enjoyed chapter 1 last week and uh, hopefully, yeah, we're just going to keep, keep going through all the great truths in this gospel and we're in Matthew chapter 2, which starts in verse 1 with this. Now, when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. Um, I'd like to also go to the Lord in a word of prayer before we start, um, before I start preaching this. So, Father, thank you, um, thank you for this great chapter. Please just fill me with your spirit now. Help me to preach boldly, accurately, clearly. Help those here just to, you know, have have open ears, to have open hearts, to want to hear what your word's got to say, to 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 want to want to put things they've heard today into practice going forward um, in their lives, and we just. I just pray that you just just help me to just preach preach clearly and boldly now in Jesus' name we pray all of this. Amen. <coughs> Excuse me. Okay, so <coughs> this is the uh, first mention of the name Herod in the Bible, and in case anyone is wondering there's more than one Herod. So if you've ever read through the Bible and wondered, this Herod seems to be going on a long time, or wow, he's just up to more wickedness. Well, there's more than one Herod. This first one here is known as Herod the Great, um, who according to the history books was appointed King of Judea by the Roman Senate. Um, he was a son of someone called Antipater, who was an Idumean, which is an Edomite. So again, this is according to the history books, which basically is, an, if it, when it says Idumean, that is an Edomite, okay? Now, this is a nation that came from Esau, a nation that God states that he hates. In Romans 9.13, it says, as it is written, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated, which kind of makes sense uh, that Herod was an Edomite, because we're going to see in a minute how wicked Herod actually is. And, um, well, Jesus was born in the days of this first Herod, and these wise men came to worship him. Now, who are they? Who are these guys? Because we've heard many different things, haven't we? Three kings, aren't they? Three kings of Orient are. They must have come from the Orient, because the song says it, doesn't it? Well, were there even three of them? Does it say anywhere that there were three of them? No, it says they came from the East, but does that mean they're from the Orient? Well, we don't know. We don't actually know any of that. What we do know is that there were some wise men, plural. There could have been two, there could have been 20 of them. I don't know. Maybe there were three. There were three gifts, but maybe one of them had all three gifts. I don't know. So, again, lots of stuff gets put into this. And, of course, look, okay, that's one hymn, and, you know, people can take some artistic sort of license with hymns, but, or artistic liberties maybe is the word for it. But, uh, look, all those nativity scenes and all of that stuff, as we're going to see in a minute, is a load of nonsense, okay? And because we're going to see as well that those... Well, we'll see in a minute. We'll see in a minute. But, anyway, let's keep going. So... Okay, so, like I said, who are they? Well, I believe that they are saved men somewhere from the east of Jerusalem. Okay, so they're somewhere from the east, and it could have been a long way east. And it could have been a long way sort of northeastish or southeastish as well, because east can cover a lot of areas. And they were somewhere east of Jerusalem. They could have been pretty close. Um, but I believe they're saved, because you don't have to turn there, but Proverbs 9.10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the holy is understanding and they definitely have some understanding these guys to have known he's there by a star now turn to Isaiah chapter 60 the seed of David is referred to a few times in the Bible as a light 
While you turn to Isaiah 6, I'm going to read 2 Kings 8, 19, which says, Yet the Lord would not destroy Judah for David his servant's sake, as he promised him to give him all way a light and to his children. Now, Jesus describes him, himself as a light in many, many places in the Bible, such as John 12, 46, which says, I am come a light into the world that whosoever believeth on me should not abide in darkness. Isaiah 60, where you've turned, reads from verse 1, Arise, shine, for thy light is come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon thee. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth, and gross darkness the people, but the Lord shall arise upon thee, and his glory shall be seen upon thee. And the Gentiles shall come to thy light, and kings to the brightness of thy rising. Now that might be why people call the wise men kings. Maybe they were. I believe that is a prophecy of, of you know, of Jesus Christ coming and, and that light. But somewhere between verses like this and an understanding that the king of the Jews was coming as promised resulted in these wise men turning up to Jerusalem to worship him. Uh, they've got some wisdom or maybe just this star was just irresistible. I don't know, but what it is, because they did say they've come to worship him, it's a good reminder of one of, the th one of the things that Jesus Christ warrants, and that's worship, yeah? Jesus Christ warrants worship. And on a Wednesday evening, when the church is a bit of a way to come, ultimately we come here to worship the Lord Jesus Christ, don't we? And that's why we want to make that effort. Maybe you're tired from work, the kids are tired too, but we're here to worship, aren't we? Yeah, that's really why we come to church. And look, we, sh we should and we do get edified by church. We should and we do enjoy the fellowship. We should and we do enjoy the singing. We should and, and, we, should and we do hopefully enjoy some of the preaching. But ultimately, we're here to worship the Lord, aren't we? Amen. Okay, and that's why we come here. We worship him in song. We worship him in prayer. We worship him when we preach and dwell on his word as well, don't we? Okay, and that's why we're in church. Well, it says in verse 3, When Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. Okay, why was he troubled? And trouble means disturbed, agitated, annoyed. Because these wise men have turned up to worship Jesus, King of the Jews, is what they said, yeah? But now some people would say, well, he just doesn't like the idea of this guy being king, but I think he's aware of who this is, because we see in the next verse that, we see in verse 4, it says, and when he had gathered all the chief priests, scribes, and people together, he demanded them where Christ should be born. But notice before we go there how all of Jerusalem was troubled too. Yeah, it says here, when Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. So why was the whole of Jerusalem, all of Jerusalem troubled as well? Well, that's the effect of Christ, isn't it? See, you can appear to be as holy as you like. You could be Jerusalem, you know, the, 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 the city of David. You know, what a place, all these religious people, that they have the scriptures there and everything else. But were there that many saved people there? I don't think so. And the Lord Jesus Christ troubles religious people, doesn't he? The real Lord Jesus Christ troubles, he, he disturbs them, he agitates them, he annoys them because they kind of liked it as it was, I believe. Herod liked things as it was. The, the, the religious leaders liked things as they were at that time. And they were troubled. He was troubled and all Jerusalem with, with them, uh, with him, sorry. So these men have definitely caused a stir. And look, Jesus Christ, he disturbs the religious types as much as the non-religious, doesn't he? 
Look, we see it, obviously, when we, you know, you knock on an atheist door, you try and talk to an atheist about the Lord Jesus Christ. Some of them, it really gets their blood boiling, doesn't it? But doesn't it really, when it's a religion, once they realise that you're preaching to them the real Jesus, doesn't it get exactly the same result, if not worse, by those that claim to be religious, those that claim to be believers, those that claim to have God? How angry are they when you try and open up the Bible to them, when you try and show them the real Lord Jesus Christ? Well... They hate it, don't they? And they get troubled. Well, verse 4 says, And when he gathered all the chief priests and scribes, uh, sorry, and scribes of the people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. So he's aware that this is a Christ, yeah? Meaning anointed or Messiah. Okay, now you could say, well, did he say Christ? Well, maybe, but either way, the chief priests and scribes clearly know what the question is, don't they? Okay, so he's asked them where Christ should be born, so he has some awareness here, and they clearly show that he had some awareness, because their answer in verse 5 is, And they said unto him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, And now Bethlehem in the land of Judah art not the least among the princes of Judah, for out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. Okay, so they clearly know what the question is, don't they? We're going to be coming back to this in a minute. But turn to Micah 5, which is being quoted here, because there's a key part that they don't quote. He's not just some governor like Pontius Pilate was described as later on in the Gospels. Micah chapter 5 and verse 2 reads this. Micah 5 2 says, But thou Bethlehem Ephrathah, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, this is Micah 5 2, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me that is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from old from everlasting Amen. and of course the uh, modern bible perversions like to change that but no it, he is from everlasting he's from everlasting because he's God in the flesh because he's God in the flesh and and it's funny I don't know I find it interesting that they quote they said for thus it is written by the prophet but they kind of leave out that bit I don't know why or maybe I've got a few ideas why they might have done but either way they're accepting that he's a Christ and they're talking about the prophecy there his goings forth have been from old, from everlasting. That's the Lord Jesus Christ, God in the flesh. Now, go back to verse 7 there of Matthew chapter 2. It says, Then Herod, when he had privily called the wise men, inquired of them diligently what time the star appeared. So he privately or secretly gets these wise men in. Maybe he doesn't want everyone else to see that he's talking to them. Maybe he just wants to talk to them on his own. And then he diligently inquired of them, okay? So that means that he put some work into this, that he did a, you know, the best job he could to inquire of them. He was diligent in this. And he's asking them what time the star appeared. Now, we're going to go back to this, but again, even at this point, before the wise men disobey him, Herod is clearly already plotting and planning, isn't he? He's diligently inquiring. He's clearly got something on his mind. Verse 8, And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search diligently for the young child. And when ye have found him, bring me word again, that I may come and worship him also. So Herod is pretending that he wants to worship him. And again, like I said, we, we are going to come back to these verses, but I just want to go forward a bit first. Verse 9 says, When they had heard the king, they departed, and lo, the star which they saw in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. Obviously an amazing star this, isn't it? Not the sort of thing that you see every night in the sky. 
when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. Then understandably, it's sitting above the house. They know that he's there. That's why they're rejoicing. Verse 11, and when they were come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him, worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. Okay, so when they were come into the house, it's not a stable anymore, is it? Notice that? Not a stable. They come into the house. Notice that he's a young child as well. Yeah, he's not a baby in a manger. So, like I said, I'll be talking about this again. All those nativity scenes with three wise men, magi, or whatever they like to call them in all these other versions, and, you know, and these three kings and everything else, and they try and make them look as oriental as possible, don't they, as well, in these things. Well, well is, most of that's just fiction, isn't it? Most, most of that's speculation, because... And I'll tell you what, some of that's out and out wrong because clearly here he's a young child and they're in a house now in Bethlehem. They're not in a, in a, in a stable, okay? And the baby's not in a manger here either. So those lined up, you know, where they got one gift each in these kind of graven images, let's be honest. Um, a lot of these, are, you know, they're just completely false, aren't they? Because this is clearly further down the line. So what's the point in the gold, frankincense and myrrh then? Now, there are many theories out there on this. So after I, I kind of wrote this out, I thought, I wonder what other people say. And there's just like this collection of all sorts out there. OK, and, and you know, from gold signifies this to myrrh this to frankincense this. Now, the Bible doesn't make it clear, but I, I had a little look at this and just came up with some of my own thoughts on this. And turn to Exodus chapter 29. And in Exodus 29... God has been commanding Moses exactly how to do the sacrifices, all the fine details of the various ordinances. And when you while you turn now, I'm just going to read what frankincense and myrrh are. I think everyone knows what gold is. Frankincense is a dry resinous substance in pieces or drops of a pale yellowish white colour of a bitterish acrid taste and very inflammable used as a perfume. And myrrh is a gum resin that comes in the form of drops or globules of various colours and sizes of a pretty strong but agreeable smell and of a bitter taste. It is imported from Egypt but chiefly from the southern or eastern parts of Arabia. From what species of tree or plant it is procured is unknown. As a medicine it is a good stomachic, antispasmotic and cordial. Okay. Again, I don't know if you find that interesting. I find that quite interesting. So he says this in Exodus 29. So look at verse 42. Exodus 29, 42. And this shall be a continual burnt offering throughout your generations at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation before the Lord, where I will meet you. Okay, so that's the tabernacle of, congre uh, tabernacle of congregation where he's going to meet them to speak there unto thee. Well, that's Moses. And there I will meet with the children of Israel. So that's meeting with, with all the people there. And the tabernacle shall be sanctified by my glory. And I will sanctify the tabernacle of the congregation, the altar. I will sanctify also both Aaron and his sons to minister to me in the priest's office. And I will dwell among the children of Israel and will be their God. And they shall know that I am the Lord their God, that brought them forth out of the land of Egypt, that I may dwell among them. I am the Lord their God. Okay, so that's the tabernacle of congregation, right? Okay, so the tabernacle of congregation is where he meets with Moses and the children of Israel to dwell among them. Now go forward to chapter 30 and verse 1. He says this, talking about the tabernacle of congregation. And thou shalt make an altar to burn incense upon a shittim wood, shalt thou make it. A cubit shall be the length thereof, and a cubit the breadth thereof. Four squares shall it be, and two cubits shall be the height thereof. The, the horns thereof shall be of the same. Thou shalt overlay it with pure gold, 
The top thereof and the sides thereof round about and the horns thereof and thou shalt make unto it a crown of gold round about and two golden rings shalt thou make it to it under the crown of it by the two corners thereof upon the two sides of it shalt thou make it and they shall be with they shall be for place sorry they shall be for places for the staves to bear it withal and thou shalt make the staves of shit in wood and overlay them with gold and thou shalt put it before the veil that is by the ark of the testimony before the mercy seat that is over the testimony where i will meet with thee now jump forward to verse 23 then so we see obviously the importance of the gold there in the tabernacle of the congregation where he's meeting with them verse 23 says take thou also unto the principal spices of pure myrrh 500 shekels and a sweet cinnamon half so much even 250 shekels and a sweet calamus 250 shekels and of cassia 500 shekels after the shekel of the sanctuary and of an and of oil olive and hin now shalt make it an oil of holy ointment an anoint an ointment compound after the art of the apothecary it shall be an holy anointing oil and thou shalt anoint the tabernacle of the congregation therewith and the ark of the testimony and the table and all his vessels and the candlestick and his vessels and the altar of incense and the altar of burnt offering with all his vessels and the lava and his foot and thou shalt sanctify them and they shall be most holy whatsoever toucheth them shall be holy and thou shalt anoint Aaron and his sons and consecrate them and they, that they may minister unto me in the priest's office and thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel saying this shall be an holy anointing oil unto me throughout your generations upon man's flesh shall it not be poured neither shall you make any other like it after the composition of it it is holy and it shall be holy unto you whosoever compoundeth any like it or whosoever putteth any of it upon a stranger shall even be cut off from his people right and the lord said unto moses take unto these sweet spices stacti and onico and galbanum these sweet spices with pure frankincense of each shall there be a like weight and thou shalt make it a perfume a confection after the art of the apothecary tempered together pure and holy thou shalt beat some of it very small and put it before the testimony and tabernacle of the congregation where i will meet with thee it shall be unto you most holy and as for the perfume which thou shalt make you shall not make to yourselves according to the composition thereof shall be unto thee holy for the lord whosoever shall make like unto that smell there shall even be cut off from his people now i know that's a lot of a uh, lot of long reading there but for me it's interesting that all three of these gifts are key parts of the tabernacle of congregation where god met with the children of israel and dwelt among them i just find that interesting i thought to see all three in that passage and quite key and probably the priciest parts of that as, as well the frankincense was known to be very expensive so, so was the myrrh and they were in large amounts as well for me they're key parts of the tabernacle of the congregation where he was meeting with them turn back to isaiah 60 again though and while you're turning there, i'm going to read song of solomon 3 6 which is describing solomon a picture of christ who is this that cometh out of the wilderness like pillars of smoke perfumed with myrrh and frankincense with all powders of the merchant remember solomon's regularly depicts as a picture of christ coming out of the wilderness in isaiah 60 we we read earlier in verse 1 to 3 the prophecy of the gentiles and kings coming to his light then verse 6 says isaiah 60 verse 6 the multitude of camels shall cover thee the dromedaries of midian and ephah and they all they from Sheba shall come, they shall bring gold and incense, and they shall show forth the praises of the Lord. So, whether or not there's also a connection to the tabernacle of congregation where the Lord met his people, just something that I, that I was interested in, I found it really interesting that I think it's the first mention of frankincense there as well. It was clearly prophesied that they would come bearing these gifts, which are clearly gifts fit for a king. So if you're like, well, I don't know, you're grasping at straws there. They just happen to all three be mentioned with the tabernacle of the congregation where the Lord was to dwell among his people. And we've got the Lord coming to dwell among his people. 
Well, even if you think, no, that's a stretch, well, at the least, they came bearing gifts which are fit for a king, okay? It, say, it says there, and they shall show forth the praises of the Lord, and I think that's connected to bringing gold and incense, okay? And they know clearly who he is, aren't, don't they? And they're not coming, just bringing a little bit, they're coming, bringing clear gifts fit for a king, and they're coming to worship him. Go back to Matthew chapter 2 there. It says, it said, and when they were coming to the house, they saw the young child with Mary's mother and fell down. Okay, they didn't just go, oh yeah, okay, praise God. No, they fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned of God in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed into their own country another way. So just bear in mind there, look at that verse. What were they going to do before this dream? Return to Herod, yeah? They were going to return to Herod, but God warns them not to. I want you to bear that in mind too, because we're going to be going back there as well. Verse 13, when they were departed, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise and take the young child and his mother, and flee into Egypt, and be thou there until I bring thee word, for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. When he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night, and departed into Egypt, and was there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Out of Egypt have I called my son. You don't have to turn it, but it's from Hosea 11.1, 1, which reads, When Israel was a child, then I loved him and called my son out of Egypt. And I, I, for me, that's a, a picture of us being called out of Egypt as well. So the Lord Jesus Christ is picturing us also. Egypt is a picture, basically, of coming out of the world, coming out of sin, the bondage of sin. Of course, Jesus Christ committed no sin. But that's a picture. He's coming out of Egypt, something we have to do to follow and be in Christ. Yeah. Verse 16 says, Then Herod, when he saw that he was mocked of the wise men, was exceeding wrath and sent forth and slew all the children that were in Bethlehem and in all the coasts thereof from two years old and under, according to the time which he had diligently inquired of the wise men. Right, so we're in the second chapter of the New Testament, the second chapter of the Gospel of Matthew, and it's now mass murder. This is mass murder. That's pretty grim reading, isn't it? Yeah, mass murder, he's just slain. He slew all the children that were in Bethlehem and in the coast, all the coasts thereof from two years old and under, according to the time which he diligently inquired of the wise men. Now, there are differing estimates for the size of Bethlehem. One respected archaeologist, and a lot of the time when they're respected, it doesn't mean anything, but W.F. Albright says the population was around 300. Now, whether or not he's playing that down, it doesn't really matter because it, it also said in, in all the coasts thereof. And coast isn't talking about people down at the beach, okay? By the way, it was inland as well. It's talking about basically all the bordering towns as well, all the bordering towns and cities. So anywhere basically near Bethlehem and Bethlehem itself, Herod murdered all the children that are in that area. All children under two in Bethlehem and its neighbouring towns. So we're talking about scores and scores and scores of children. How wicked is that? That's amazing, isn't it? And, you know, people open up the Bible and just expect to see all this, you know, just pretty stuff and, you know, the beauty of the Lord and love and everything. Look, and straight away, chapter 2, you're seeing mass murder, mass murder in the gospel story. This was some sick, deranged psychopath, wasn't it? Yes. Yeah, how sick and twisted is that to just go out and murder all these children? And many 
picturing Herod would probably picture a guy frothing at the mouth, wouldn't they? Or maybe picture a Bond-type villain, you know, sitting there maybe stroking a cat, no offence cat lovers here, and, you know, or something else. And, and, you know, and there would be, you know, people would see that and think, you know, this guy, he must have just been this complete raving lunatic, everyone's scared of him and everything else. So now I want to bring you back to those previous verses that we talked about. Look at verse 7. Then Herod, when he had privily called the wise men, inquired of them diligently what time the star appeared. Okay, so Herod, Herod has a private meeting with, what are they? The wise men, yeah? They're wise men. He's questioning them very specifically about when the star appeared, yeah? These are wise men, yeah? They're clearly depicted as wise men, yeah? I mean, you can't get away from that. They must have smelt a rat, didn't they? Surely they smelt a rat. They're wise men. And this guy must be just some absolute lunatic, yeah? Isn't he? Well, verse 8 says, And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search diligently for the young child. And when you have found him, bring me word again that I may come and worship him also. He claims that he wants to worship him. Surely these wise men didn't fall for that old chestnut, did they? Yeah, I want to come and worship. They didn't fall for it, did they? They were wise. They were wise men. No, they weren't necessarily kings. Maybe they were magi. What is, what is, a, is a magi? Anyone heard this sort of stuff? I think it's new, modern Bibles like to call them. Well, they were clearly wise men, though. Verse 12. Look at verse 12. And being warned of God in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed into their own country another way. Another way. <coughs> so these wise men still needed God to warn them in a dream, didn't it? Didn't they, yeah? Yeah. Okay, they didn't just go, yeah, no chance, coming back to Herod, see you, sucker. No, they were going to come back. They needed God to come to them in a dream, but these were wise men. They would have returned to Herod. That's crazy when you look at it like that, don't you? So why is that? Why is that? What's my point? That even one of the most sick and twisted mass murderers in history, and this is history, by the way. If you, when you, I, I've heard people try and talk about the Bible before, and I don't know if they're just copying what other people say. They go, oh, this one actually happened. This, this bit, look, look, it all happened. Every single word of God is pure and true, preserved, inspired. There's not one error in the King James Bible. So this is... Like every other part of the Bible, this is clear history. And I have, I've, I've seen guys behind the pulpit go, well, this actual story did happen because of historians. Well, I don't care whether historians record, record it or not. Okay, if the historians line up with the Bible, well done, they got that right. If they don't, they got it wrong. Okay, but my point is that this sick and twisted mass murderer pulled the wool over the eyes of God's people, didn't he? He pulled the wool over three of God's people described... Oh, sorry, I don't know if it's three. Some of God's people described as the wise men. Let's see, he even gets into you. Three we, three kings. I just had it going around my head since I've been going through this. Okay, these wise men, probably two of them. 20, 50, I don't, I don't think there were. I don't think there's that many wise people out there. But they were so wise, but they still got, got, they got scammed by him, didn't they? Okay, wise men that knew what the star meant, Yeah. Because there weren't, I don't think there were teams of people coming from all over. There were this, this, these wise lot, this wise team, yeah, or two, I don't know. They knew it was the king of the Jews, didn't they? They came and said, where's king of the Jews? They, they, they brought gifts to show exactly who he was. These were wise people, right? 
And they would have returned to Herod and sung like canaries. That's what they would have done. They would have returned to Herod and sung like canaries. Why? Why? Maybe it was a private meeting in verse 7. Yeah, verse 7 said, Then Herod, when he had privily called the wise men, inquired of them diligently what time the star appeared. Maybe he charmed them. Oh, I just want to talk to you privately because you're, you know, you, you're a really wise guy. You three <laughs> are really wise, yeah? Maybe it was that. Maybe, maybe flattered them. Maybe said, oh, we get on so well together. I'd love to come with you guys, but you go ahead and come back and bring me word. Maybe it was something in that private meeting. Maybe it was his feigned religious act in verse 8. What did verse 8 say? It said, And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search diligently for the young child, and when you have found him, bring me word again that I may come and worship him also. Maybe it was that. He wants to worship him too. Yeah? So, it doesn't, they're obviously not seeing him as this deranged psycho that I think most people would have thought, yeah? He wants to worship. He wants to worship God. He wants to worship the Lord Jesus Christ. But surely Herod had a history. You, you would have thought he had a history, wouldn't you? Is this the first time he did anything like this? Well, was this the first time he showed his wickedness? But that's the thing with us Christians. And I, look, for me, they're wise, they're saved, these guys, yeah? We want to see the best in people, don't we? We want to see, and look, we should want to see the best in people. I'm not trying to knock anyone here, we should. And we often ignore red flag after red flag with people, with preachers, with all this sort of thing. Warning signs, crazy behaviour from people just time and time and time again. You're just thinking, and we ignore it, and then we give them the benefit of the doubt. And look, they've just met Herod, who ends up being one of the most famous mass murderers in history, and they're about to come back and tell him exactly where the Lord Jesus Christ is. And look, sometimes you've just got to call a spade a spade, don't you? And in this case, a murderous psychopath, a murderous psychopath, yeah? Sometimes you've just got to say it. And just to make it clear, it wasn't that he just didn't like babies, okay? It wasn't that Herod was just a bit anti-babies. He felt threatened by Jesus' title, didn't he? Yeah? He felt threatened by Jesus' title, but it was more than that. Because it says here, and when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. Where Christ should be born. They then quote him scripture, yeah? He knew who he was trying to destroy, didn't he? Yeah, he knew who it was. Yeah, he didn't, know, he didn't have a personal relationship with him, but he knew who he was trying to destroy, yeah? Because he's a God-hating reprobate. Because he's a child of the devil. He knew exactly what he was doing. And these people are out there. And look, it, it, look, the Bible just says it time and time again. You get into chapter 2, the second chapter of the New Testament, and you've got a murderous psychopath feigning to be a religious man. Yeah? And that's what a lot of people miss that. When you look at this, you, you look at this and you think... You know, you, you look through, oh, yeah, well, it's just like King Herod. He's just like one of these usual power-hungry megalomaniac kings. No, he was feigning to be religious. And look, there are so many out there that, according to here and many other places, they're cold and calculating. 
Verse 16 says, Then Herod, when he saw that he was mocked of the wise men, was exceeding wroth, and sent forth and slew all the children that were in Bethlehem and in all the coasts thereof, from two years old and under, according to the time which he had diligently inquired of the wise men. He diligently inquired. So, they probably, they must have thought that he was amazed, maybe just trying to piece together the information to get to the bottom of it. But he was already formulating plans, yeah? Mm. Now, that's not to say that he was calm and collected the whole time. What tipped him over the edge at the end? What tipped him over the edge? Being mocked of the wise men. It was his pride. And look, when I read this stuff, it just, it can't help but make me think of... of people that already in the past, people that other people in the past, it's the pride that gets them in the end. Um, remember that guy that we kicked out of here, I think the first, the first kick out guy, and it was his pride. He, he came, he, he, he was at, he, you know what he was so angry about? And this, look, that guy, he, he had so many, he ticked all the boxes, yeah? But what he was so angry about was that he wasn't given the, the, uh, the credit. Yeah, thank you. I was looking for the word. He wasn't given the credit for how they took down Salam Kamara themselves. Yeah? And if someone's sitting here going, what is this guy on about? It's a long story. Yeah? But anyway, we just had this guy that came in, wanted to act like he was part of the church. And within a month, his pride just went up. He suddenly just completely turned. And because I didn't make some public apology that in fact he had taken down this guy himself he just went nuts started telling us he'd always hated all of us he hated our pastor he hated our pastor's friends he hated all of us we're all completely you know whatever it is tried to pull people out of the church trying to ring people trying to message people you know long long midnight you know sort of long essays trying to tell everyone why we're all actually so evil and everything else but it was a pride it was a pride that got him and we, we had a guy in here, and, and just because he hasn't been officially kicked out, but I've never seen him since, it was the same thing. The guy, uh, straight away, first time I saw him, you know, red flags went up, hairs went up on the back of my neck. And, and he started trying to tell me that he wanted to preach his testimony, and he wanted to do this, and he wanted to, you know, and all of this. And when I was pointing out to him, yeah, but you're not saved, you know, and I did it in a polite way and tried to be nice and just told him, no, I'm not willing to let you get behind our pulpit and start addressing our whole, again, the pride, just furious, then he's swearing, you know, while we're talking, but, you know, in, in the church, by, you know, it's not that I'm trying to say it's a holy pulpit, but that's bizarre to come to church and start swearing at the leader of the church. And again, pride, it was pride that then he just bared his teeth straight away, you know, it's like suddenly you just saw the devil come out of him same with same with um same with that idiot that we had uh on on our whatsapp group as well and you know you know what it was is obviously he you know he suddenly just came out of nowhere with an attack but it was once i we, he then got kicked off he got kicked off i kicked him off the uk soul winning group because i just saw he's just going to be on all sorts of these essay attacks same thing what happened just attack videos on youtube and all the same and he's just so angry and furious it had been kicked off our chat that you know that our pastor wasn't willing to debate with him on our on the middle of our chat group in front of 50 odd church members about you know why calling on the name of the lord is 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 part of putting your faith in jesus christ yeah so anyway point being it's pride now you look at this and you're saying to me but you're giving examples of church nut jobs brother ian herod was a king herod was a king 
Yes, but Herod is the first example in the New Testament, like I said, of a fake religious psycho. He's the first example, isn't he? Straight away, second chapter of the New Testament, fake religious psycho. Yeah, he was a king. Yeah, he had some power. Yeah, he probably had some, some credibility and other things. And he had, but he's still fake religious. Verse 4 said, And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. So he's with all the chief priests and scribes wanting to learn of Christ. Yeah? Oh, he's with all the holy men of God. He's such a holy guy. Yeah, he wants to know about the Lord Jesus Christ, yeah? Verse 8, And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search diligently for the young child, and when you have found him, bring me word again that I may come and worship him also. He's claiming to want to worship him. He's claiming to be saved, isn't he? That's what he's claiming to be saved. He's another fake saved guy. And like all the many false prophets out there, they hate the real Christ. That's what it really came down to. Oh, he didn't want his position. He hates the Lord Jesus Christ. He hates the Lord Jesus Christ. And you go, well, what does he hate about him? He's just a little baby. Do you know what he hated? He either hated grace through faith. He either hated grace through faith, or he hated eternal security, or he hated the Trinity, or he hated the virgin birth, or he hated the doctrine of hell. He hated something. Yeah, he hated something about the real Lord Jesus Christ, didn't he? And many convince themselves that they're right, because I've often wondered about this, and obviously we're starting to deal with it, you know, at this church, it was going to happen, it will continue to happen. Like, and I think they convince themselves they're right, these guys. Yeah, I don't think they always just, just convince, you know, I don't think they admit that they're just basically a, a child of Belial, God-hating reprobate. That... Their damnable heresies aren't damnable heresies. They keep them quiet, which is a bit bizarre, isn't it? Keep them quiet until eventually they come out with them. And they claim to want to come and worship the Lord too, don't they? They claim to want to come and worship the Lord. But really, what do they really believe? And there's something they really believe deep down that they keep quiet. They keep quiet until it eventually comes out eventually comes out and it could be a long time till that comes out but like Herod, Herod they'll happily destroy countless of people even children because they hate the truth because they hate the truth and look there are big time false prophets out there preaching people to hell aren't there yeah. aren't there there are big time false prophets out there preaching millions of people down to hell and and people hate this sort of preaching the false prophets hate this sort of preaching that the you know god is love and you know we just want to hear all like all the fluffy stuff hate this sort of preaching but the bible calls for this sort of preaching the second chapter of matthew calls for this sort of preaching because these people are wicked because they're evil because really they're damning people to hell and they are out there and there are there are you can think of all the big name preachers what are they all every single one of them aren't they yeah. Everyone, I, I was, um, I, I was, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk about this in a minute, but before I do, let, let, let me just make a couple of other points, because now, of course, those babies and young children that Herod killed went straight to heaven, okay, in case anyone's wondering here, okay, well, look, those ba they went straight to, to heaven, every child, two and under, no, no, no knowledge of, of good and evil, now, I'm not talking about knowledge of whether or not your parents tell you off if you do something. You could train a child pretty young with that, but they don't have a knowledge of good and evil. They just have a knowledge of what gets them whatever the punishment is and what gets them praise, okay? 
Okay, so those babies went straight to heaven. But if they can't destroy your eternal soul, they want to at least destroy your physical life. So if you're either saved or you're too young, and I, this is what I was thinking about, is anyone see that, uh, the, the recent Pass Mahir debates on, on alcohol with this absolute clown online, yeah? Okay, one over there. Come. So it's quite interesting. There's this guy who, who uh, you know, and look, you don't want to just say it, but I'm just going to say it anyway. For me, I'd be amazed if he was saved, yeah? Uh, in fact, even more than that, I'm just going to go out on a limb and go, this guy's an unsaved heretic, yeah? And he's uh, one of these big YouTube names that's trying to debate why why alcohol is okay. While he's sitting there drinking a beer on camera, mocking, going, nothing wrong with this. Yeah? Oh, oh but, but, you know, maybe he's just got a different opinion on this. He, he's, he's trying to basically tear down a video he saw past me. Here's showing clearly from the Bible that wine can either be unfermented or fermented, yeah? And this guy, He's then done a video, Pastor Mahir's then refuted that, that video, just thought he might as well. This guy's got a huge following, all these kind of just, just boozing, you know, so-called Christians out there. And some of them, look, I, I, would, I would tell you that some of those are saved, yeah? This guy isn't, okay? He's preaching and promoting alcohol, and look, some, some saved, saved might do that. But this guy isn't, I, I have no doubt. But how, how wicked is it really? And he's trying his best, he's mocking past me here, mocking the stance that's so clear there, while using his false Bible versions, obviously, as well. Trying to show that, that apparently, according to this guy, that it ferments basically straight away in a hot climate. That basically, the minute you start to squeeze it, within a day, it's just gonna be, you know, booze, yeah? Like, just, just nonsense, yeah, this guy. But anyway, the, the, this guy, though, can you imagine how much damage he's really doing? Well, he's sitting on camera claiming to be the inspired philosopher or whatever he calls himself, guzzling booze, guzzling beer, drinking, drinking whiskeys or whatever it is on camera, thinking it's so cool, go and enjoy it and everything else. And, and how many saved people will look at that and justify their sin? How many will look at that and go, yeah, no, no, he makes it, because they want to see that, don't they? They'll sit and just want to somehow justify get, drinking alcohol. And he's not the only one. How many, how many preachers out there borderline promote fornication in their churches? No problem at all. Yeah, well, you know, if, they turn, if they're living together, shacked up together, it doesn't matter. But what a wicked sin that is. And what a sin that God hates. And what a sin that the, the Bible says to kick people out of the church for. And for good reason. Because it ruins lives, because it creates all sorts of problems in people's lives. Because, because it's, such a, it's, such an, it's such a spiritual thing, isn't it? coming together like that, which is reserved for man and wife, and it creates issues and memories and problems and mental issues that last a whole lifetime, yet you have preachers that basically promote it. You have false prophets promoting divorce, remarriage, adultery, and look, in case you're sitting here going, yeah, well, I'm divorced, look, that's not what we preach about. We preach about people promoting to people that should now know better and telling them, no, it's okay. No, it's okay to go and remarry, even though the Bible says that you're causing them to commit adultery by remarrying. Telling people that, you know, that, that divorce is okay. When the Bible says clearly that other than the case of fornication, and that's before marriage, that there are no grounds for divorce. 
Because again, it, it, look, again, I'm not preaching to anyone that's, that's been divorced. I'm preaching to all the kids here never to, never to even contemplate it. But how many churches don't preach that? And, and, and to never contemplate fornication. And to never once, look, once, and, and once you're getting to that point where you think this person might be for me, to realise it's for life, yeah? Marriage is for life. Amen. And it's so important. But how many false prophets? Yeah, look. They might not be able to send you to hell. You might be saved. But I tell you what, they'll ruin your life. They'll destroy your life. Promoting birth control with its abortion side effects, basically. Backup mechanisms. Promoting abortion. Promoting the murder of babies. What a culture we live in. What a culture we live in. And there there are pastors out there, false prophets, who will preach to people and be very murky on the gospel or at least won't preach against it. So people are kind of wondering, going, well, maybe it's okay because pastor whatever never preaches about that. He just always preaches about the preacher of rapture every, every week. He preaches about Zionism every week. So I, I can't see it's a problem. Sometimes they'll even preach it's okay. Sometimes they'll preach about, you know, reduce it. Oh, I don't want to have too many. Oh, well, you know, is that sensible to have a, to have a baby? Maybe you should think about what precautions you can take. And what's that insinuating? What about ones that promote covetousness? Promoting covetousness. And by the way, all this stuff can be promoted in churches as well. It can be promoted by wicked people in churches, but promoting covetousness. And covetousness ruins lives, doesn't it? Covetousness ruins Christians' lives. That instead of focusing on the things of God, they're focusing on money. They're focusing on getting rich. They're focusing on ways to get rich, to get easy money, and how many preachers will maybe pro- promote it to some degree? Or how many, how many people in churches will promote their get-rich-quick schemes, will promote their fast cash, will promote their ways of getting money, will promote their covetous ways and destroy people's lives, destroy children's lives who are seeing that week in, week out? And how many will just try and pull people out of church? Or whether that's a false prophet preaching... That, that a church which preaches the whole word of God is a hate, hate preaching, because you're preaching what the word of God says. Or, you know, what sort of a church, what sort of a church tries to encourage people to, you know, to dress properly or to, and again, it's encouraged. We don't have a ban on, uh, apart from ridiculous outfits, yeah? In case you're wondering, don't push it, yeah? <laughs> but, but, but how many people will try and how many false prophets will try and find reasons to pull you out of a church? King James only must be a cult. Must be a cult because cult they believe that the Bible's preserved like God promised he'd preserve it. Must be a cult because they believed because they believe that every word of God is pure, like God said it was. Yeah. yeah? And how about and the, and the ones that come into churches? They want to pull people out of the church. What are they really trying to do? Destroy lives. And it's not much different to King Herod there. Yep, they might not be mass murderers. Maybe they're capable of it. Maybe these false prophets are, but they do, they do have something called self-preservation as well, and they probably know they're going to be banged up. King Herod didn't get banged up, but people are trying to ruin lives. Yeah, False prophets out there are trying to ruin lives. That's why the Bible says, beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they're ravening wolves. And they're plurals, they're plurals. Not that one false prophet you might come against, the one you might see on YouTube. No, false prophets, plural which come to you in sheep's clothing. And some of them, the sheep's clothing is really impressive, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. Let's go back to Matthew 2 and verse 17, where it says, Then was fulfilled that which was spoken by Jeremy the prophet, saying, 
and by the way, this is Jeremiah, in Ramah, or Rama was her voice heard, lamentation and weeping and great mourning. Rachel weeping for her children would not be comforted because they are not. So, now Ramah's the name of a few places, but here, this particular one is a city near Bethlehem. Now, remember we saw earlier that it was all the coasts thereof. So all the neighbouring towns and cities. Jeremiah 31.15 is what it's quoting here, which says, Thus saith the Lord, a voice was heard in Ramah, lamentation and bitter weeping. Rahel weeping for her children, refused to be comforted for her children because they were not. Now, Rachel, I believe, is both referring to Jacob's wife who died. Yeah, the famous Rachel from the Bible. Who died, by the way, whilst giving birth to Benjamin. Yeah. And here, the many future mothers of the Benjaminites. Okay. So it's kind of a jewel there. And being that she, she died giving birth to Benjamin, but there's kind of a reverse here where she's weeping for her children, refused to be comforted for her children because they're not. And Ramah was one of the cities of the Benjaminites. Okay. So they're kind of the descendants <coughs> of Benjamin. And regardless of them being in heaven, you can imagine how these mothers felt, yeah? So regardless, because you've got the, the kind of, the callous types are like, well, you know, gone to heaven, what's the problem? Well, what's the problem? They've literally just had their, their babies murdered. I mean, can you imagine that? Absolutely horrific. Lamentation is expression of sorrow, cries of grief, the act of bewailing, which is bitter weeping refusing to be comforted. Now that's pretty normal for poor mothers that have lost their babies, isn't it? Let alone murdered by this wicked psychopath. Okay, that's normal behavior, that's a normal response. Expression of sorrow, cries of grief, the act of bewailing. Verse 19 says, but when Herod was dead, behold, an angel of the Lord appeareth in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Arise and take the young child and his mother and go into the land of Israel, for they are dead which sought the young child's life. Now, did Herod get away with this, do you think? Well, firstly, he's in the lowest depths of hell, okay? King Herod is burning in hell for eternity. And is anyone here sitting there going, well, poor thing, if only we could have saved him at the end? Because the liberals would claim that, wouldn't they? The, the, the fake loving church would claim, ah, oh, just unfortunate that someone didn't reach Herod with the gospel at the end of his life. <laughs> On his deathbed, if only they could have got him saved. Because that's, that's, that's what the world tells us Christians should think, shouldn't they? Yeah, that's how we should think, shouldn't we? Because the world tells us, who have never even read the Bible, that's how we should think. So then you get a Christian, like, and I've preached about this a few times, it just really winds me up, because even just looking through some of the comments on these debates that I, just, that I saw a few of these videos recently, and you just saw all these fake Christians coming on going, not very Christ-like to be rebuking someone. You know, things like this, you're like, what is wrong with you, these people? And it's this fake Christianity. Yeah. And, and it's false, and then people, real Christians, sitting there going, oh man, am I just not very, you know... Am I not a good Christian? Because I don't have a problem with Herod burning in hell for eternity. Yeah. But for sure, you shouldn't have a problem with Herod burning in hell for eternity because that was a wicked, wicked guy, wasn't he? And hell couldn't be hot enough for a guy like that. And look, just to make it clear, we want to get people saved. That's why we're one of the only churches in this country that goes out and tries to get people saved. Okay? We want to see people saved, but people like that, the Bible says, look, he hates the Lord. Do not I hate them that hate thee? Yeah, the, the Bible's clear about that. Now, 
Interestingly, the historians say this, by the way, and I don't know how accurate this is, but after a troubled reign of 37 years, he died at Jericho amid great agonies, both of body and mind. So it's not just Sahel, but uh, it seems that, that the Herod the Great here died amid great agonies, both of body and mind. Anyone upset about that? No? Um, yeah. I'm, and, are we bad Christians because we're pleased about that? No. No? No, we're not. And the, the, Bible, the Bible makes it clear, you know, to, to abhor that which is evil and cleave to that which is good. Uh, we hate evil, and that guy is evil personified, isn't he? He's trying to murder the Lord Jesus Christ, and in the process goes around murdering scores and scores of innocent children and destroying all of those parents' lives. And that's the sort of thing they, they will never get over, okay? They will never get, get over that. And that is absolutely horrific. He's just destroyed their physical lives as well. Now, just interestingly here, the argument is that Jesus was born between 6 and 4 BC. So in case you're looking at, you know, you've looked at it thinking, okay, it must be zero. Well, you know, there's a bit of discrepancy here, which would probably make sense considering he ordered the death of all children under two and he, he died in 4 BC, yeah? So, but with that in mind, therefore, it seems that they weren't in Egypt a long time. It says here, this is another quote from a, from a historian, I think this is Smith here, says, After his death, his kingdom was divided among three of his sons. Of these, Philip had the land east of Jordan, between Caesarea, Philippi, and Bethabara. Antipas had Galilee and Perea, while Archelaus had Judea and Samaria. So just, just bear that in mind, because then they go on to be called Herod. Now, back where we were, though, in, I think it's verse 20, it says, For they are dead which sought the young child's life. So who's the they? Notice it's they are dead. Now, obviously he sent forth people to kill them, yeah? Okay? But these weren't just these poor guys, it just had to do as they're told. And whoever was in his inner circle, there's some other wicked people around him. It wasn't just Herod on his own. These Christ haters are not only numerous. And 1 John 4, 1 says, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits where they are, God, they are of God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Many, many. And, and again, it can't be preached enough from a pulpit because we as Christians, we, we don't want to believe that. We want to not believe that. We want to believe that, you know, that guy who's preaching repent of your sins, he's just a bit confused. That guy who's preaching, you know, and promoting alcohol, he just needs someone to really show him clearly from the Bible and not try and destroy his hundreds of thousands of followers' lives. That guy preaching, you name it, oh, yeah, you know, they're not that bad, are they? They are dead, it said, because there are many false prophets. And look, there are many plural, and often they work together. Okay, they work together. Now, if you think about it, a lot of those false prophets you'll see out there on the TV, on YouTube, or whatever else, a lot of them yoke up together, don't they? Yeah, they're happy, they'll, they'll help each other, they preach for each other, they're all buddies, they've got no problem. In fact, they don't seem to have a problem with, with and when we're talking false prophets, we're going across the board here, the Catholic priest doesn't have a problem with the Anglican priest. But, but I thought, you know, I thought Protestantism was coming out from the Catholic Church. No, they're all of the same, they're all of the same, cut from the same cloth, aren't they? They are, aren't they? And I know that's a bit of a pun there because, you know, they're all men of the cloth, aren't they? Okay, but they are cut from the same cloth. But they don't have a problem with the, with, with the rabbi. They don't have a problem with the imam. 
They don't have a problem with any of that because they're all false prophets and birds of a feather flock together. But sadly, you do see that as well when it comes to people that try and destroy churches from the inside. And that's something we'll have to watch out for is that you'll get groups, you'll get multiples of people sometimes trying to destroy a church. He said many false prophets have gone out into the world. Jesus said false prophets, didn't he? Beware of false prophets that come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. And that's wolves plural because wolves come in packs, don't they? They come in packs, something to bear in mind. Verse 21 says, And he arose and took the young child and his mother and came into the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus did reign in Judea in the room of his father Herod, he was afraid to go thither. Notwithstanding, being warned of God in a dream, he turned aside into the parts of Galilee. So he avoided Herod's son Archelaus, but ended up where his son Antipas reigned. Which kind of makes sense there, where it says he heard that he did reign there, and he was afraid to go. Notwithstanding being warned of God in a dream, he turned aside to the parts of Galilee. So he's warned of that, and he ends up in the parts of Galilee. And he came and dwelt in a city called Nazareth, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophets, he shall be called a Nazarene. Now, by the way, that's not a Nazarite, okay? He didn't take a Nazarite vow, okay? That's not a Nazarite. People get confused with that, okay? This is just someone from Nazareth. And remember, though, that this is where Joseph and Mary were actually from, yeah? If you look at the, the Gospel account in, in Luke and obviously further on in Matthew when it talks about being in his hometown, They'd only travelled due to the decree to be taxed, didn't they? So this is where they're from. They went, basically, they went back to their hometown. Okay, they went back to their hometown, having been warned, you know, not to, not to go back to Judea. Oh, I don't know why maybe they would have gone back to that part. I, I'm not sure. But So which prophet said he shall be called a Nazarene? Anyone know? Because there, don't seem to, there doesn't seem to be a clear case of who it is. You can't find that in the Old Testament. But... There's a couple of things to point out here. Firstly, it said it was spoken by the prophets. Okay, it didn't say written by the prophets, did it? Now, often when it's spoken by the prophets, it's also written by the prophets. But here it did say spoken, so we don't have to add into that, right, it must be written down then. Okay, there were, I'm sure the prophets spoke many things, yeah? But, but with that in mind as well, there is a connotation here of being called a Nazarene, I believe, in the Bible. And some people debate this. I believe there is. Turn to John chapter 1, where Jesus first meets Philip. So John, the Gospel of John, in chapter 1. And from verse 43 we're going to look at, John 1, 43, where the Bible reads, The day following, Jesus would go forth into Galilee... And findeth Philip, and saith unto him, Follow me. Now Philip was of Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip findeth Nathanael, and saith unto him, We have found him of whom Moses and the law and the prophets did write, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said unto him, Can there any good thing come out of Nazareth? Philip saith unto him, Come and see. Now, this is clearly disdaining of Nazareth, isn't it? I don't see that as anything else. Not, oh, well, he's not coming from Bethlehem. No, I think he's clearly disdaining Nazareth. He didn't say, can any good thing come out of anywhere apart from, from you know, Bethlehem because of the prophecy in Micah. No, he said, can there any good thing come out of Nazareth? And 
We also see, you don't have to turn there, but this, this sort of attitude in the book of Acts where they're complaining about Paul and they say, for we have found this man, a pestilent fellow and a mover of sedition among all the Jews throughout the world and a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. And again, I think it's a disdainful view of people from Nazareth because, look, they weren't just a sect of the Nazarenes, were they? And this was, they were trying to persuade the governor there, weren't they, that he was wicked and that he deserved to be put to death. So why? Why was Nazareth some sort of disdainful sort of insult to be from Nazareth? Well, it's not mentioned in the Old Testament at all, by the way. So it seemed to be a newer town. And again, I think you could probably see some spiritual um, messages in that as well. But for sake of time and just something I haven't really gone into in depth, we're not going to go into that. But it was likely more mixed with the Gentiles, okay? Far from Jerusalem as well. And there's some his, historical accounts that they were maybe their speech was a bit different or, you know, and, and again, we don't know for sure any of that stuff. But if I'm right and being called a Nazarene is an insult, then prophets like Isaiah and Isaiah 53.3, and you don't have to turn there, most people know these verses, when they said he is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and we hid as it were a face from him, he was despised and we esteemed him not, uh, they may be saying that, maybe they're basically saying, you know, he shall be called a Nazarene, i.e. he shall be called despised, he shall be disdained, he shall be rejected of men. He was despised and we esteemed him not. And he fulfilled being despised, didn't he? Jesus Christ was despised. He described by, he's despised by his own people in Nazareth as well, and he was despised by the Jews, and he was despised by everyone. And sadly, Christian here you're going to get despised. If you live for God, the world does despise you. Yeah. When you start to get your, your views and you start to get your behaviour more and more in line with how God wants you to live and think and talk and act, the world despises you. The world starts to hate you more and more. But is that a bad thing? Not really. Is our life trying to get popular with the world? The world seems to have its whole life trying to be popular with the rest of the world, doesn't it? I mean, that seems to be a level of, of achievement in life nowadays, how popular you are on social media, how popular you, how many friends you got, how many you know, likes you get on whatever stupid photo you put up of yourself with some silly duck face or something else. That, that seems to be life, doesn't it? But do we care about that stuff? We don't care about that stuff, do we? Yeah, they, the more you're despised for Jesus Christ's sake, not for being an obnoxious, arrogant Christian, but the more you're despised for just trying to be more Christ-like, the more, look, the more blessed we're going to be for it, aren't we? And he was despised and rejected of men, and we, we're trying to take up our cross and follow him, aren't we? Now, he fulfilled being despised. I believe that's what it's talking about. But there was also some other fulfilment in that chapter, wasn't there? Jeremiah's prophecy, a great weeping and mourning, was fulfilled, yeah? Him being called out of Egypt was fulfilled. And he fulfilled the prophecy of being born in Bethlehem, didn't he? That's a lot of prophecy fulfilment in one chapter, isn't it? Amongst the many other hard truths, yeah? And that's a lot of prophecy fulfilment, all in just one chapter of the Bible. And again, just from the beginning where we saw clearly just, just how he qualified, had he come from that, line of Joseph he would have qualified as a king but in chapter 2 we're seeing that he qualifies as the Lord Jesus Christ Christ <laughs> the anointed the Messiah through all those prophecies just fulfilling 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 and um, 
Yeah, what a great chapter of the Bible. Some hard, hard stuff in that chapter, isn't there? And some hard truths in that chapter, but hopefully, you know, truths that will edify us, that will strengthen us, that we can learn from as well. Now, on that, let's go to the Lord and a word of prayer to finish off. Father, thank you. Um, thank you for, you know, what a great, strong chapter of the Bible there and the, the, the lessons that we can learn from it, the... You know, the lessons that we can learn thinking that we're these wise Christians that can just see everything that, that, that even the wise men didn't see what Herod was. And, you know, they needed you to warn them. And hopefully your warning today has gone out to, to those in our church. You just just be aware that, that you know, they come, they come uh, you know, in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they're ravening wolves. And Herod, I don't think his sheep's clothing was that good, but he still managed to fool the wise men. And we, we need to just be aware of that. We have the, the complete word of God, so to whom much is given, much should be required. We should be aware, we should be vigilant, we should keep our children away from false prophets that are out there trying to, trying to just, just poison us. If they can't send us to hell, they're going to just, just try and destroy our physical lives like Herod did with those poor children. And we, we pray for, you know, for everyone that... that you know, that they're, they're wise, they're vigilant, that we pray for this week going forward or the rest of the week, sorry, that, that you know, managed to get out soul winning those who can make Saturday, that, that we're able to return here Sunday for, for, you know, another day here to be able to get out and preach the gospel. We pray for all those that, that had the gospel preached to them today, that not only, you know, those that get saved, that, that they'll go on to want to live for you, but also that they'll want to come to come to this church and want to, want to be part of a church which goes out and tries to do things for God. And um, we, we pray all of these things in Jesus Christ's name.